0: Modern. 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 We're prepping for a voyage. Modern. The force Modern. of an old-fashioned equals whiskey mass times bitters acceleration. Why don't you make that a double? Modern Bar Cart. What's shaking, cocktail fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Modern Bar Cart Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Kozlik, and today we've got another great episode for you episode 30, in fact. That means we've been publishing this podcast weekly for over six months now, and this holiday season, we are particularly grateful for all the great listeners who now tune in weekly, and for all of you who have logged in to modernbarcart.com and ordered our products this holiday season. We're going to take a hyper- hyper brief hiatus for about a week here between Christmas and New Year's of 2017 so that we can spend time with our own families and recuperate after a busy holiday season. But we'll be back at it right away in 2018 with some great new episodes that investigate the cocktails and cocktail cultures of a number of exotic locations around the world to celebrate the launch of the Embitterment Heritage Collection. This is a brand new premium line of bitters that we'll be launching in January of 2018 and as we're all bundled up here in the U.S. trying to fend off the winter blues we're gonna take the opportunity to daydream about amazing cocktails and cuisines from intriguing places around the globe. So now that you've got something to look forward to for the new year I think it's time for you to make yourself a drink. This episode is being published on December 21st 2017 which happens to be The Winter Solstice, and it brings me back to the very first drink I ever invented, which might be a bit strong of a word for the occasion, but nonetheless. This drink is called the Stopping by Woods after Robert Frost's famous poem, which takes place on the Winter Solstice, the day when the Northern Hemisphere receives the shortest duration of sunlight for the entire year, at least by time. The poem speaker says, My little horse must think it queer to stop without a farmhouse near, Between the woods and frozen lake, the darkest evening of the year. And this drink is designed to celebrate both the rich rum distilling tradition in the U.S., as well as the woodsy atmosphere of this poem. To make the Stopping by Woods, you're going to need the following. Two ounces of dark or spiced rum one sugar cube, dominoes, or something darker, perhaps, if it's available. Alternatively, you can just use a half teaspoon of loose sugar, several dashes of embitterment aromatic bitters, and one to two sprigs of fresh, not dried rosemary. It's basically a rosemary-spiked rum, old-fashioned, so what you're going to do is you're going to soak your sugar cube in the bitters, add a splash of water, and... Then you're gonna muddle the sugar and bitters together in a mixing glass with that fresh rosemary sprig. And the goal here is to get the essential oils from the rosemary and the sugar and the bitters all muddled up into that splash of water into a nice little, very flavorful, sweet slurry. And then after you get that to a point where you're happy with it, you add the ice and your rum and you stir it all up. And once the drink is well chilled and the sugar is all dissolved, you strain that into a rocks glass over a single large ice cube, if you've got one. And for a garnish, you can optionally add either another sprig of rosemary or perhaps a lemon twist, and then you enjoy that however you want, perhaps in front of a crackling fire with a book of Robert Frost poems in hand. If you do decide to make a stopping by woods this holiday season, definitely snap a picture And hit us up at Modern Bar Cart on Instagram and Facebook so we can share it with our cocktail community and we can all tell you how beautiful your drink is and how much we wish we were there sharing one with you. Now for today's episode. I recently had a long few road trip hours alone with my digital audio recorder here and I decided to finally give in to all the peer pressure I've been getting to answer all those pesky lightning round questions that we ask all of our guests here on the Modern Barkhart Podcast. So, not a typical episode, but if you ever wondered what I would say if the roles were reversed and I was in the hot seat, this episode will reveal all. Thanks again for a great 2017, and we are absolutely psyched to give you more awesome cocktail knowledge in the year to come. But for now, please enjoy this road trip edition of the Modern Barkhart podcast. Hey guys, Eric here. I'm in driving currently in beautiful brown desolate central Pennsylvania. It's a beautiful day out perfect driving conditions, and my handy audio recorder here is allowing me to keep both hands on the wheel. So we're doing this podcast safely. So not to worry, but I am here to put to rest some of the nagging questions that I've been receiving on social and via email, podcast at modernbarcart.com, about what my answers to these lightning round questions might be. And lightning round questions are the questions that we ask every interview guest here on the Modern Bar Cart podcast. And uh, I'm also going to throw in today my answers, or I guess more elucidated answers to a couple of the theme episodes that we have questions kind of centered on. And those theme episodes are strange or unusual cocktail ingredients and the Cocktails and Place episode where we talk about what your favorite place to drink a cocktail might be. So if you haven't checked out out those episodes yet, please do so. And we're slowing down. This is We're just in this random traffic jam here that doesn't really need to exist. In the middle of nowhere, no construction, blue skies, traffic jam. So this sounds like a really good opportunity for us to just jump in here while I'm literally sitting not moving at all to the first question of our lightning round which is what is your favorite cocktail and why? And when I first started thinking about this question, I was like, all right, I, I gotta I gotta pick a cocktail that is not just sort of a typical cocktail. You know, I, I really wanted this to be to be special. I, I have a lot of cocktails that I really, really love. But after I sat down and gave it a good bit of thinking, there was only one that kind of rose above the pack in, in terms of how and why it's special. And I kind of gave this away uh, an episode or two ago when we uh, sat down with Dennis Sendros and talked about egg cocktails Uh, just because his favorite cocktail happened to be the same as mine. And the cocktail is the last word cocktail. It is a perfect cocktail, which has nothing to do with why I like it. A perfect cocktail, in the cocktail sense of the term, simply refers to equal ratios of certain or all ingredients. So a perfect Manhattan is a regular Manhattan, except it's got equal parts sweet and dry vermouth. So half and half dry versus sweet. And the Negroni is also an example of a perfect cocktail. It's a 1 to 1 to 1 ratio of gin, sweet vermouth to Campari. So perfect really refers just to the measurements. And in the case of the last word, the measurements are one part gin, one part green chartreuse, one part maraschino liqueur, and one part lime juice. Very strange set of ingredients. You usually don't see these ingredients playing too much together except in this cocktail. So, why did I choose the last word as my favorite cocktail? Well, the last word to me has got some really fascinating extremes going on and it's also got some variables and some constants that I'm going to talk about. So, when we're talking about the extremes, they're really extremes of taste and the taste sensations I'm referring to here are sweetness, acidity or sourness or tanginess, however you want to think of it. The sweetness aspect is unusual in the last word because it actually has two sources of sugar or sweetness. That's a little bit unusual for cocktails. It's got the chartreuse, which is a liqueur, and it's got the maraschino, which is a liqueur. So both of them are fairly to highly alcoholic liqueurs, but they're also to kind of account for that. They've got a decent amount of residual sugar in there. So a lot of sweetness in the last word. And then that's kind of balanced out on the other end of the spectrum by the fact that there's a lot of acidity as well. So you've got several sweet ingredients and several or or one very kind of potent sour ingredient in the lime juice, very low pH. And it's also got sort of an inherent kind of floral brightness to it. So you've got those two things pulling and creating a sort of tension, the sweetness and the sourness creating a sort of tension. And what that tension allows is for the aromatic, the other flavor ingredients to really do some interesting work. So I referred a couple minutes ago to some constants and some variables. So what's the constant in this cocktail? The constant is, interestingly enough, the green chartreuse. And the green chartreuse is kind of a mysterious constant because we don't even really know what's accounting for the flavor in this particular liqueur. I always go on record saying that green chartreuse is my favorite liquid in the world, and it's just so complex and amazing. And over a hundred different herbs, spices, flowers, etc., are responsible for building this flavor profile. So it's Always the same, especially if, you know, unless you go back, you know, several decades and find a bottle that's been aging for a while, you're really going to pull out the same flavor every time from this bottle of chartreuse that you pick up at the liquor store. No matter where you go, it's the same. And it's never really been effectively replicated. So, that is your constant, but it's a mysterious constant. And then you've got your variable, but it's a familiar variable. Gin in this case is our variable. And the reason why I say it's a variable is because there's so many different gins on today's market that you can be using. You can use a juniper kind of dry gin that's really emphasizing that juniper kind of piney note, or you can go more citrus driven, which might beg the question, should I ease back on the lime juice in this cocktail to let the citrus in the gin kind of shine through a little bit more? Or you can opt for a more floral gin that's a little bit more delicate perhaps and that plays with the other flavor notes in the chartreuse while the sweetness and the sourness are kind of off on their own doing their own thing. So it's a very interesting cocktail. It's got this unearthly green color from the lime juice and the maraschino or the maraschino and the um, green chartreuse that just those three things kind of combine to make this Slightly cloudy, but also very vibrant green. And I remember the first time that I took a sip of this cocktail, it was like nothing I had ever tasted before. Imagine waking up one day and all of a sudden there's a new color just chilling in the world, and you're walking outside and nothing is the same after that. And that's why truly this is my favorite cocktail because even to this day, when I taste this, I can't find anything that tastes like it in the world. And so, you know, hopefully this has some of you intrigued about this cocktail. I think that everyone should go out and experiment with the last Words. a great way to get introduced to a few interesting cocktail ingredients and a great way to use different gins on your bar cart. But that's why, to me, it's so special. It's like introducing a new color to your world. All right, guys, traffic jam has cleared up a little bit here. We're starting to make a little bit more progress, but we are—we still have a lot of Pennsylvania to go here. So I'm going to jump into the next lightning round question, which is, what is your favorite spirit? And I'm usually not shy about this on the podcast, and judging by the favorite cocktail, it might not be a surprise to you that my favorite spirit is gin. And instead of talking about my desert island scenario, where I get to take one boatload of a single type of spirit to last me for the rest of my life, or instead of talking about why it's superior to other spirits, I thought what I would do instead here is give some brand recommendations that happen to be on my personal gin fanboy list. So free advertising to all the brands on this list. Local, national, international—we're not getting paid by anybody here, so this is just good, solid, genuine advice. When it comes to the one bottle that I like to have available, and the bottle that I kind of think of as a blank slate for gin, that's Bombay Sapphire. And maybe that's not too exciting for you all because oh, we we're hoping for something a little bit more interesting from the guy who hosts the cocktail podcast. Well. The reason I like Bombay Sapphire, you know, let's let's discard the recent scandal where their uh, alcohol by volume was all messed up and was just super high and probably not safe. Uh, you know, that's a little blip on the radar, but taking all of that aside, I think Bombay Sapphire is very clean, very approachable, and a great place to start when you are first experimenting with a gin cocktail. Maybe the first time you make that cocktail, make it with Bombay Sapphire. It's really clean. It's kind of gentle in respect to many of the uh, flavors that you would associate with gin. It's certainly not as juniper as some of the ones out there that, that you would associate with the London Dry style. And so I think that makes it great, especially at the price point. It's a great bargain bottle to pick up, and it looks kind of cool on the bar. Nice blue bottle. Doesn't, doesn't hurt the eyes. So Bombay Sapphire would be kind of my bottom-to-middle-shelf recommendation. And then if you're looking for maybe an American dry style gin, there's a really good bottle that I know uh, others in the podcasting world have really picked up on and advocated for. Uh, That bottle is Blue Coat. I happen to agree with that. I've spent some time in the Philadelphia area and uh, don't want to say that I was drinking Blue Coat before it was cool, but I definitely picked up on them early and it was a really, really clean flavor profile. Uh, definitely had some dryness to it. Uh, and that, that appealed to me because I'm not a sweet spirits drinker. I'm not a huge bourbon fan. Uh, I I don't like, um, sweeter, more mellow spirits. I like drier, a little bit more, um, you know, back, well, backboned spirits. Um, I'm sure Jordan from the speaking easy podcast is cringing hearing me speak about bourbon this way, but blue coat is a great option. If you want to, have that nice middle to middle shelf, um, bottle available so that if somebody comes over and you want to make them a really special gin drink, that is a great bottle to select. And it's also a nice blue color. Maybe, uh, maybe it just means that I, that I like blue bottles and, and you shouldn't be taking any advice from me right now, but those two bottles are great standbys to have on your bar at all times. I believe, I think now my favorite gin of all time, that recommendation would be The Botanist, which is a Scottish gin, really, really refined. Uh, The way I like to speak about The Botanist is to talk about it in respect to Carpano Antica, which is, I think, the best sweet vermouth out there for making cocktails. It's super polished, very poised, and it's just got this really finely tuned balance between the botanicals. And to me, I just... Having a cocktail with the botanist is just a treat. So that's the one I kind of save for when I really want to treat. I treat myself to a botanist-based gin cocktail. That comes in a nice clear bottle. It's got letters all over it, uh, white cap, and uh, it's not going to break your bank. It might be a little bit more expensive than the ones that I've listed right now, but it's certainly not going to run you much up over $40. So um, that's a good one to have as well. Local recommendations, got to rep the DC crowd. Green Hat Gin, been doing it for a while over at New Columbia Distillers. They've got a great summer and a great year-round gin. Those are my two favorites. They also do a few other gins as well. Um, Up in Maryland, my friends over at McClintock Distilling, I still say the batch one of their Forager Gin was the best batch one gin I've ever tasted, and I've had a few. Uh, and they've recently released a cognac barrel aged gin, which I had the chance to pick up after I made a delivery up there this holiday season. and that was phenomenal. I've been making a few interesting cocktails like that with a like a like a Negroni with the barrel aged gin is really, really interesting. So those are my recommendations for the gin bottles that you should have on your bar if you are also like me, a gin fan. All right, guys. Ah, Just pulling back onto the highway after grabbing some gas here. Got a full tank. We are back up to cruising speed, and it is time to answer probably the most notorious question of the entire podcast. And that question is, if you could have a drink with anyone past or present. Who would that person be? Where would you go? What would you drink? And what would you talk about? And I'm not quite sure what makes this question so formidable or notorious. Maybe it's the fact that, you know, it kind of reflects who you are and, and what you value in your answer. It's kind of a revealing question. And, you know, there's a lot of pressure. You've got so many people to choose from. Don't pick don't pick someone that's dumb or not a good choice. Um, So for whatever reason, people tend to kind of tense up sometimes around this question. So hopefully my answering it will kind of ease the tension in the room, make people a little bit less bashful about answering it. But I'm going to give two answers to the question. I know it's not fair, certainly not fair, but life is not fair, and I'm doing it for a reason. And that reason is I think sometimes people miss out on an opportunity with this question in that the question is phrased as, Past or present. So people hear that and their ears perk up and they think of like, oh, I get to pick this great historical figure, you know, because normally we don't have the opportunity to communicate with the dead. So yeah, it's a great opportunity. But as a result, I think a lot of really interesting people who are currently out there being interesting and who you might conceivably actually be able to grab a drink with in real life if all of the stars aligned get overlooked. So... I'm going to give my answer for the present person, the person who's currently alive and being interesting, and then also my kind of guilty pleasure historical figure answer to the question. So, who is the person who is currently living that I would love to grab a drink with? My answer to this question actually surprised me quite a bit, and it's because I'm a fairly notoriously apolitical person. I do not like the American political system. It's uh, it's kind of icky and gross, but the person who is currently alive that I would love to grab a drink with is Barack Obama, and the reason why I would love to sit down and pick this guy's brain is because we spent eight years with the guy, right? He was in office for eight years, kind of rebuilding post 9-11, you know, or at least trying to, and... We saw the guy kind of age before our eyes, and really, the, the one big question I have for him is, like, what is it like to have that amount of responsibility on your shoulders, an entire nation kind of leading an entire nation of people, and it's super polarized, people, you know, red and blue don't wanna to talk to each other. It's just a super tense environment, and you've got a lot of these mitigating factors in there that just make your job so tough day to day. And what is it like to be a dad in that situation? Like, how do you balance your family life? How do you how do you stay a good person when you've got so much stress and so much responsibility on your hands? And so I think where we would go, Barack and I, being two D.C. fellas, we'd probably meet up on 8th Street. He'd probably be signing some autographs, taking some pictures with some folks, um, because very recognizable, obviously, in D.C., very well-loved in D.C. as well. And so we'd go to H Street, and we would go to my favorite bar, Copycat. I know this seems like a cop-out because I talk about Copycat quite a bit on the podcast, but the reason why I want to go there with Mr. Obama is because it's nice and quiet. It's an intimate atmosphere, and it's a place where I feel like we could actually have that really good conversation about some of these more serious topics that, that I am, I'm curious about. So what would we drink? Well, the cool thing about Copycat is that they have a constantly rotating menu and they'll even allow you just to pick a couple of flavor inputs. Like I want something smoky and bourbon based, or I want something tangy and rum based. And you know, they'll let you give as many flavor inputs as, as you want. And they'll kind of craft a drink, whether it's something they invent on the spot or an existing cocktail that kind of fits your request exactly. So Part of this is that I'm just really curious about what Mr. Obama's flavor preferences are. I think he's a really interesting guy. There's always a ton of articles out in D.C. about, you know, the Obamas went to this restaurant, they went to this restaurant. I, I want to know what the guy eats. I want to know what he likes. And then based on what he orders, I will order something completely different, completely different from that. That's what I usually do whenever I go to copycat with someone. I'll see what they'll order, and then I'll go in the complete opposite direction so that what we can do is trade sips. And I have no sanitary squeamishness over this unless Obama self-discloses that he's dealing with a serious stomach flu. I'm going to go for it. We're going to trade sips and we're going to kind of hopefully spark a conversation based on the flavors. And I feel like that's just a really organic way to get to know somebody is to learn about what they like to eat and drink. So, that's how we'd start our conversation, hopefully I would get my, my, some of my questions on the more serious end of the spectrum answered, and that is my drink experience with Mr. Obama. Now moving on to my historical selection, person who is not currently alive and with us, but with whom I would enjoy grabbing a drink. I was really tempted here, very, very tempted to answer George Carlin. George Carlin, famous stand-up comedian uh, from the 60s through the early 2000s, just one of the comedy greats. The only reason why I didn't choose him is because I feel like I know him so well through his comedy and through some of the interviews that he did, and so as much as I would love to grab a drink with him, I think I can kind of piece together what that experience would kind of be like. Uh, I think he was actually also kind of on the sober train there toward the end of his life as well. So might not have been a great fit for him. So the person that I chose instead was a more historical figure going way back further in time to the Italian Renaissance. And this fella is none other than Marco Polo. Yeah, Marco Polo. And I think that cocktails are adventurous by nature. They're an accumulation of disparate individual units in flavors and combining those into a a greater understanding of what a flavor is. And I think that kind of meshes with what Marco Polo did, which was to travel to all these different lands, experiencing all these different cultures, and doing it at a time when it was really unheard of for a single person to travel that far and wide. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to find a bar. This is an imaginary bar that I'm kind of creating It's the middle of the day. It's a beautiful contemporary bar in the middle of the city somewhere. Super well stocked. They've got every cocktail ingredient under the sun, fresh citrus, a dozen types of juices, a dozen types of bitters, and the bar is closed, and it's just Marco Polo and I, and maybe a bar back just sitting there polishing glasses for for um you know just for atmosphere I guess. And we would just start experimenting. And what I'd really want to get out of this with Marco Polo is I'd like to teach him about cocktails. I'd, I'd like to be like, Hey man, this is what a cocktail is. We're taking all these ingredients. Oh, so this is gin. Well, gin was actually invented way back here. And hey, you know the Dutch? Yeah, the, I guess you call them these guys, but then later on, they became the Dutch, and they had this spirit, and then it evolved, and I get to kind of teach him the history of the world after him through all these amazing cocktail ingredients, and then, you know, when we get to the bitter Italian liqueurs and amaris, maybe he could be like, oh yeah, we got that. We got that one, and you know, that's a, a common ground for he and I to bond over, and, and he can talk to me. He can be like, "Well." All right, so funny story about this particular spice. so I was traveling through yada 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 city, and this is what I heard a merchant say about this spice and back then it was this expensive which and and you know we could do the conversion and figure out how much that would be in today's money and just I, I just think it would be a really interesting way to learn about history and teach him about history and kind of see his reactions, see the reactions of someone who was alive during the Renaissance to the development of the world after the Renaissance and kind of get his, get his just very genuine reactions to that and see what he thinks. I would love to watch his mind work. And I feel like as alcohol gets introduced to the equation, as i make him more drinks and as we experiment with different things, I feel like I could get a really clear picture into the way this mind, this man's mind works. And so that is why I would love to take Marco Polo back in time, or forward in time rather, to this amazing hypothetical well-stocked city metropolitan cocktail bar and teach him the ropes so that we could both learn a little bit more about history. And I could see how one of the world's greatest travelers and adventurers reacted to cocktails like the Negroni. All right, guys, we are still in central Pennsylvania. Still. Oh, it's a big state. It is large, it is squarish, and I'm driving right up the gut. So we're going to take some more time here, answer the next two questions all in one breath. Uh, Those questions are the influential cocktail books and the question about advice for new home bartenders. And I'm going to answer the first one briefly because we talk a lot about books during the podcast and I always kind of bring up the same ones over and over, so I'm just going to kind of list those. I think these are the perfect starter books for anybody starting a home bar. It is, they are Imbibe by David Wondrich. If you're into history, I would always, I would also pick up Punch by him as well. Uh, for technical stuff, I would pick up Liquid Intelligence by, I believe it's Dave Arnold and great technical hand guide, lots of pictures, really well written, very conversational, but also gets into the nitty gritty science of things so that you can understand the processes that are happening in the mixing pint and in the shaker. And then finally, for understanding of the ingredients and and where these spirits and ingredients come from as they are grounded in the natural world, pick up Amy Stewart's The Drunken Botanist. Those are the books that I always recommend. You can listen to the podcast to hear other book recommendations from other folks. And those will always be kind of my big four for, you know, really getting into cocktails and cocktail culture. Next question is, do you have any piece of advice for home bartenders? And we've had a lot of fantastic advice throughout this podcast so far from our guests. And so as I was thinking about my answer to this question... I was trying to figure out if I could generate some piece of advice that was a little bit different, that we haven't heard yet. Uh, At least not in the specific way I'd like to communicate it. And I was able to come up with something. So I think if you are starting out on your journey as a home bartender, I think it's worthwhile to ask yourself, why am I getting into this? A lot of people say, oh yeah, my wife and I are getting into that. Or oh yeah, my girlfriend and I are picking up a few bottles. We're trying to build our bar cart. If you're really truly interested in experimenting with flavors and getting into sort of like the collecting side of it, where you're kind of gathering these materials gradually and building up a collection of things with which you can make a bunch of different potential cocktails, kind of gathering up your potions, so to speak. If you're really interested in the nuance and the experimenting and the kind of pushing of flavor boundaries, then I'd say that's great. But if you realize you're mostly in it to drink with friends and and have it as a social occasion, I mean, that's a totally fine secondary goal. But if that's your primary goal, I'd say it might be more cost-effective for you to find a friend who's nearby and who is also getting into home bartending and have them make you cocktails and spend time with them that way. Because everybody who's in home bartending needs somebody to, to practice on. So there's nothing wrong with having socialization be your primary goal But it's going to save you a lot of money in the long run if you realize that initially and, you know, you don't go out and spend a bunch of money on liquor that is just going to sit on the shelf. So, the piece of advice, that's kind of a preface to the advice. You know, select yourself. Are you really in this for this reason? And if you are into cocktails for the experimenting and the creative aspect of it, the biggest single thing that's going to hold you back is your own inhibitions about pushing your flavor boundaries, pushing your zones of comfort with certain flavors. And how do I explain this? Well, I do a lot of public events where I'll set up a booth and we'll teach people about cocktails, teach them about our products, many of which are cocktail bitters. And almost every time we do an event, sometimes multiple or many times in a given event, I'll have somebody walk up to my booth and I'll say, you know, we'll talk about the company a little bit and I'll say, Hey, would you like to sample some cocktail bitters? And I get this face. It's never even a, it's, it's not a, it's not a word or an utterance. It's, it's a face. Like, like I'm i I'm asking them to like disembowel themselves in front of me or like take a shot of cyanide or something. It's this like this face that says like, who are you? And why would you ever ask me to sample something that might not taste delicious and tasty and sweet? And I think that's a real inhibition because there's so many varieties of flavors out there. So many, you know, William James, one of the two fathers of psychology, the the other being Sigmund Freud, once published a book called the varieties of religious experience. Well, There's another book that could be written just on the varieties of flavor experience. And if you are sitting here kind of cringing or consciously avoiding certain flavors that maybe challenge your current comfort zones, then that's really going to hinder you in your cocktail experimentation, on on your journey to becoming a better home bartender. It's a a voluntary weakness, and it's something you can train out of yourself by just being a grown-up to be honest. Uh, I, am not quite sure, uh, why some of these flavor aversions exist. Maybe we can jump back on the phone with Dan McCall, um, who is a flavor researcher at Gettysburg College who kind of, you know, studies some of these flavor aversions. Some of them are developed in childhood. Some of them don't have to do with taste, but perhaps more with temperature or texture. But the biggest way that you can overcome these is just saying, okay, I acknowledge that this is maybe not my favorite flavor, and looking for opportunities to kind of slowly and gradually push your boundaries on that flavor. Uh, Bitterness is a perfect example of that type of flavor, and so my biggest piece of advice to home bartenders is once you start experimenting, once you get to the point where you've tried a couple cocktails and they haven't been your favorite, see if That has to do more with you or with the cocktail. Did you make the cocktail wrong? Or is maybe this just an area of your personal palate that you should work on expanding? Do you kind of, you know, cringe and flinch up a little bit when somebody offers you something that's bitter or something that is a little bit thicker in texture or has, has, um, you know, I don't know, some more juniper in it or something. I'm not quite sure what this would be in in your given case, but look for opportunities to expand your own personal flavor comfort zone. That's my advice to people who are just starting out on the home bartending journey. And I think that if you follow the advice, what you're going to find is that you're going to have more fun when you go out, you're going to start leaning toward the more adventurous cocktails and... The enjoyment of the drink is not going to necessarily be for the alcohol buzz that it gives you, but for the adventure and the thrill of taking that risk, because that's what it is when you push a comfort zone. You're taking a risk that you might not be comfortable, that you might be uncomfortable for a minute, but the thrill when you do taste something that expands your flavor preferences into an area where you never knew they could go that thrill is directly tied to the risk. So go out there, take risks with flavor, and have fun. Okay, we are making some progress here, folks. Just took a little break, had a little lemon-flavored Luna Bar. That's right, the Nutritious Power Bar for Women, because they're delicious, and I like them. So don't judge. You should go out and try it. But we are here to answer the two theme episode questions now. So I'm going to start with the theme episode question about strange or unusual cocktail ingredients. And a lot of people in the episode gave some really cool answers. There's one answer was bone marrow. Um, one answer was kind of brines and sourness that's also kind of savory or salty, um, we've had some people who were talking about pine and wood and all of these are really, really interesting ingredients. I'm going to talk about some places where I think I see the opportunity to kind of expand what is used in cocktails that we commonly run into at bars. And I think for me, that is, a couple of different types. There's some liquid ingredients that I think we could be using more of, and I think there are also some flavors that we could be using more of. So I'll start with the flavors. And the flavors, I think, could be utilized better. We, we, it's not uncommon to run into spices, herbs, and sweet, floral, grassy. But what you don't find so often in comparison to the fruits and the berries and the spices and the herbs is meats and vegetables. Meats and vegetables. These are hearty, big, bold flavors, and they don't necessarily gel as well with the sweets and the sours that we often find in cocktails alongside sometimes the bitters. So what I'd really love to see is more interesting vegetable and meat flavors in cocktails. It's not uncommon to come across some bacon-washed bourbon. It's not uncommon to see, I guess, you know, like tomato in a Bloody Mary, for example. But where else can we go with this? Uh, There was a bar in D.C. that I believe has since closed that once served on their menu a pickled herring martini. And this is in place of the olives and the olive brine and the dirty martini. I thought this was a brilliant move and a great way to start pushing the boundaries and incorporating meat into our drinks. I'm a a big meat eater. I love it. And so maybe I'm a little bit biased on this. Maybe this is not the most popular opinion, but I'd love to see where meat and vegetables take us. Another great example would be fennel as a vegetable. It's got such a unique flavor and it actually blends really well into some cocktails that use anise, or any set flavors. Um, Don e F- Fili, the Amaro and liqueur fa- uh, manufacturer in D.C. actually makes a fennel liqueur called finocchetto, and I th- it's one of my favorite ingredients to play around with, and I think we could be seeing more of that stuff in the future, and I hope that we do. Now, moving on to the liquid ingredients that I think we could be using more. Meads and beers. I think that meads and beers can be used more often in cocktails than they currently are. You can't go a mile without running into a craft brewery these days. So I think we should start utilizing that natural resource that we have in all of this beautiful craft beer that's coming out and start seeing if we can incorporate this into cocktails more. Because what is mead and beer, even the drier style meads, it's a source of a slight sugar and a little bit more dilution in your cocktail. And these can be used in a similar way to a vermouth, I think. Um, so maybe what I'll, I'll have to start doing in my free time is seeing how I can utilize beers and meads more in my own cocktails and see if I can report back to you on that. And instead of just saying, I wish somebody would, maybe I'll be the person to start playing around with that a little bit. Who knows? But in any case, meats, vegetables, meads, and beers are the unusual cocktail ingredients that I would like to see more of. Okay, guys, last question here, our theme episode question, and this is, where's your favorite place to drink a cocktail? I'm going to give two answers to this. Again, not fair, but life is not fair. The first answer I'm going to give is my favorite cocktail bar that I've ever been to, favorite cocktail bar experience. And then the second one is going to be just overall, in general, au général, where is my favorite place to drink a cocktail? So my favorite cocktail bar, my favorite cocktail experience in a professional bar was at a place called the Empire Bar inside the Broussard, which is a restaurant and I believe, I could be wrong about this, but it's also, I believe, a hotel in the French Quarter in New Orleans. And beautiful bar, um, a lot of white in this bar, so it's very bright, a beautiful marble bar top, white low-backed but high bar stools, and the windows of the bar kind of opened up onto this really nice courtyard with some plants in there. There's also some seating, so there was... A smattering of human interaction and kind of people walking around to, to be able to watch and for there to be something to engage the eye. But it was also nice and quiet while I was there, which I kind of like in a bar setting. I like it to be quiet. And the head bartender, his name is Paul Gustings, amazing guy, turns out a friend of David Wondrich. and as soon as he found out that I was involved in cocktails in, I guess, a more professional capacity than most, he just started making me these weird, crazy, amazing drinks. I didn't even know what I was getting. I was getting half pours of this and this and that, and I walked out pretty buzzed, and he, you know, took care of me in just this beautiful way, and the setting was gorgeous, and so I'd say my favorite cocktail bar experience was there at the Empire Bar in the Broussard with bartender Paul Gustings. So that that is a place that I try to go back to anytime I'm in New Orleans, have a drink there and see if Paul's there to catch up with him. But my favorite place of all time in general to have a cocktail is the porch. That's right. Sitting on a porch, having a cocktail. Why do I like the porch? You might ask. Well, I think the porch is a unique space in any house And it's unique because it doesn't have an explicit purpose. If you're in the kitchen, what do you do? You're cooking. If you're in the dining room, you're dining. If you're in the bedroom, you're in your bed. If you're in the bathroom, taking a bath. If you're in the pantry, you're putting on your pants, of course. And there's nothing really to do on the porch besides sit. Add to this the fact that the porch is often raised, giving you a good vantage point of whatever you're looking at, whether that's the road, some cars passing by, some folks walking, Um, or the yard, perhaps some wildlife, or what's the neighbor doing over there? Oh, I can't believe that guy's mowing his lawn like that. Some little, kind of minuscule piece of entertainment that you can passively enjoy, either alone or with your company while you enjoy the cocktails. And I like the porch because everyone, you can choose to be facing each other, or you can kind of choose to be looking the same way. And it's a really great place for casual conversation, which I think is super important over cocktails. Cocktails are a great way to bond. And so when you're out on the porch with someone, you're just there to be with them. It's also one of the reasons why I enjoy podcast interviews because I get to be one-on-one with a person and there's no other reason that we are here except to talk with one another, get to know one another a little bit better, enjoy each other's company, and maybe learn from each other. And I think the porch is that kind of space in the home. So if I get a chance to drink a cocktail, I'm doing it on the porch. If it's raining out, there's a roof over the porch. So I get to enjoy the change in scenery without getting wet. If it's hot outside, hopefully the porch is nice and cool and shady and I can catch a breeze. And it's a way of being out in the world, getting to watch the world without being subject to some of the more extreme forces of it. So I think all of those things make the porch my ideal place to sit down and enjoy a cocktail. So all you folks out there, next time you get the chance, sit down on the porch, grab a drink. Maybe winter's not the best time to do that, but if you've got a nice closed-off three-season porch, I hope you'll take me up on it and spend some good quality time with your friends and family. That's the last question we're going to answer here. In this episode of the Modern Bar Cart Podcast, I've got a few podcasts that I'd like to listen to and we are almost out of the great state of Pennsylvania. So I'm going to let you go. We'll catch you next year in 2018 after a brief hiatus. And we are so excited to bring you more awesome content as we continue to learn and build our bars. Thanks for listening and I'll talk to you soon. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. I just want to remind you that this episode might be over, but the journey and the discussion are just beginning. If you're excited about the content in this or any other episode, please tell us. Follow us on Instagram at Modern Bar Cart for recipes and great product tips, or stalk me personally at Quixologist. That's Q-U-I-X-ologist. You can also like us on Facebook by searching Modern Bar Cart, or hit us up directly via email by sending a note to podcast at modernbarcart.com. That email address, by the way, is also the one that you should use if you've got any cocktail or home bartending related questions you'd like us to address, or if you think you have a unique perspective on the cocktail world and would like to be interviewed for all to hear. I'll see you next time, but until then, drink responsibly and experiment boldly.